we're on part four of a series. Uh, we've been talking about the simplicity of the gospel series on preaching the gospel to the lost. And I've uh, been having a good time with this. Turn over with me to Matthew 4. Lord, we thank you for your anointing on the word. Open our ears and eyes in Jesus' name. Stand with me to help me preach in Jesus' name. Matthew 4. Uh, we're going to take a look this morning at this important idea called the kingdom, the kingdom of God. The, uh, the message of the kingdom is central to the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus ties in, he doesn't even just tie it in, it is the key thing that he tells the disciples to preach, preach the kingdom. And so uh, for us, we have uh, potentially many, many ideas about what the kingdom is, what it isn't, and, uh, and, and so we need a little clarity biblically to understand the kingdom and from that place be able to proclaim the gospel of it. If we're going to talk about the gospel of the kingdom, it's a pretty good idea that we understand more than just some vague idea of what the kingdom is. And so, uh, Matthew 4, Jesus begins to preach, verse 17, and he says, from that time, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And just down a few more verses, in verse 23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses Sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Now, when you see Jesus and he sends the disciples out on their first ministry trip in Matthew 10, and you can just flip over there a few more pages, he tells them to preach about the kingdom. Verse 7, Matthew 10. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. So here we have it, the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. People want to separate those sometimes. They're the same thing. When you see kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's talking about the exact same thing. And, and the preaching of the gospel is the preaching of the kingdom. Now last week what we talked about was that there's three ways that we personally participate in the gospel. We said we, we can pray, we can proclaim it, and we can release the power of it. And we talked about how when the gospel message is um, in the scripture, when we see the gospel going forth, how the proclaiming of it and the manifestation of the power of it, they're never separated. In fact, Paul said, I fully preached the gospel from, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, from the south to the north. He goes, I fully preached the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles. In Acts 2.22, said that the signs and the wonders and miracles were the, things that, the very things that attested to the truth of who Jesus is. And so we found last week that the preaching of the gospel and the manifesting of the power uh, of the kingdom go hand in hand. They're not separate. Uh, and the, the truth of the matter is the, the manifestation of that power is to confirm the truth 
of the gospel message preached. In other words, God tells us preach the gospel to people, but then he also equips us to be able to demonstrate that this gospel isn't just some fairy tale, it's not just some story, it's actually true. It's actually the gospel of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's actually true, and here, let me show you that there's a real king, a real power of the age to come, a real kingdom of heaven. We can manifest those powers in this age now. He never separates those. They always go hand in hand. And so I think what happened over time is uh, people got focused on the preaching. And so a lot of people that share the gospel, you know, they, they get focused on the preaching of the gospel and calling people to repentance and salvation. And that's awesome. But a lot of times the evangelistic group isn't the healing signs and wonders group. And then a lot of times the Healing Signs and Wonders group, they love to have the church meetings and see stuff, you know, blowing up in the spirit and, and, you know, whatever, people flying around and swinging from chandeliers, that's all good. But a lot of times that group doesn't do the preaching side. And so what we got to do is actually get, what if you actually had the praying people doing the preaching and manifesting the power? That's the design. That's the biblical design. People living with a culture of prayer, preaching the gospel continuously and regularly, and then manifesting the power of the kingdom of God to confirm the truth of the gospel. That sounds biblical. Well, that's what we want to be. That's who we want, how we want to live. So that's what we talked about last week. Now, I read those verses to identify that this gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. And the the key for us is we have got to understand the kingdom if we're going to be able to preach the gospel of it and manifest the power of it. Um, You know, for a long time, I'll, I'll give you an example. For a long time, I preached and told people Jesus loves you. But I didn't have a moving revelation of the love of God in my own heart. And so that uh, phrase or that sentence, Jesus loves you, was, was really empty from, you know, coming from me because I believed it here but didn't have it here. Now, if you believe that the kingdom of God uh, is resident in Christ and has come in Christ uh, and you believe that you're, you're to preach the gospel of the kingdom but you don't have understanding of what the kingdom is, again, it's just going to be an empty thing like it was for me when I was telling people Jesus loved them and I didn't have revelation of it. If you don't have revelation of the kingdom, how can you preach the gospel of it or manifest the power of it? So what I want to do today is this. I want to take us back and get us on a little bit of a journey in the scripture and I want to define biblically the kingdom so that when we see uh, Jesus come on the scene and he says, the kingdom is at hand. All of a sudden, when we understand what, what he's talking about, it changes everything. It changes our approach to preaching the gospel of the kingdom and to manifesting the power of the kingdom. Does that sound good, like a good idea? Okay, let's do that. Let's go over to Second Samuel. Chapter 7. And I'll, I'll set the table for you a little bit here. So David has just gotten the Ark of the Covenant and he's placed it 
in a tent that he had prepared for it, and he started night and day worship before the ark. He's done that in 2 Samuel 6. And so David, in 2 Samuel 7, he's in his palace, and he's looking out, and he's looking at the tent, and his heart is smitten. He says, this can't be. God can't be living in a tent while I'm in a palace. This is not good. Not good. I don't want that on my resume. And so, you know, that's like you have your house and then you've got your tool shed in the backyard and you put the ark in the tool shed while you're in your house. And so David's like, I don't want to do that. And so David tells Nathan the prophet, he said, I'm going to build the Lord uh, a house. I'm going to build a temple. And, and Nathan, just off the top of his head, responds to David and says, well, man, you seem to be on a roll. You got the ark back. You got night and day prayer going. This is a great idea. Go for it. And the Lord visits Nathan that night in a dream. And the Lord tells Nathan, he says, listen, David's a man of war. He cannot build an ark for me. But I like David's heart so much, the idea he'd want to do this. He goes, give David a prophetic word from me. And the Lord begins to describe Israel's future. And he says this about David. He says, number one, I'm going I'm to release peace. Uh, while David is king, I'm going to release peace. There's gonna, they're going to have dominion over all of the, the enemies of Israel. And that's exactly what happens when you go ahead and read forward those next several chapters. The, the Lord gives Israel dominion over every one of her enemies and she's fully established in the land. Well, the other thing the Lord says is this, I am going to build David a house. And the word there the Lord uses is he says, I'm gonna give him, the idea is a lineage of kings, a house, like a family house. I'm going to build David a house. I'm going to, he can't build me a house, but I'm going to build him a house. I'm going to give him dominion. And he is going to have a lineage of kings. He goes, in fact, tell David that there will never cease to be a king from his lineage on the throne of Israel. And as if that's not enough, like that's a really good prophetic word. <laughs> like it's a big one. That's better than, you know, yes, you're blessed and God's going to pay your light bill. I mean, this is big. Well, then finally, he gives him the, really, it's the, it's the core prophetic word of the Old Testament that so much of the New Testament is built on. We have labels in the New Testament like for Jesus, like for Messiah called the Son of David. Uh, uh, and, and you see different things like this. And we have this, com this comprehension with the, in, in Acts 1 where the disciples are saying, are you going to restore the kingdom now to Israel? And there's this whole dialogue that goes on through the scripture about the lineage of David, the king that's coming from the lineage of David. And we get that whole dialogue rooted in this prophecy in 2 Samuel 7. It's a critical prophecy. It's so critical that when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and explains what's going on there with the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he describes Jesus as the one who will sit on David's throne. And he makes this big point of it. It's the key point that gets all the people saved on, on the day of Pentecost. For us, we go, okay, Jesus is going to sit on David's throne. That's, throne, that's nice. But for the 
for the concept of the kingdom of God, and specifically as it relates to Israel, this is the huge point. So in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, it's the last part of this prophetic word that really is the kernel. It's the, it's the core prophetic world, word for the idea of the kingdom. Nathan says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The throne of his kingdom forever. And in verse 14, it goes on. He says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now, it's an interesting prophecy because we've got this this dual nature of prophecy taking place. On one hand, he's talking about Solomon who's going to come. On the other hand, he's talking about Messiah who will come. Now, that's a pretty big prophetic word. Messiah is going to come from your lineage. God in the flesh is going to be birthed through your generations. I like you a lot, David. Therefore, I am going to manifest myself through your seed in a later time. Your great, 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 great grandson will be me. That's a pretty big word. That's a big word. That word, beloved, it's the key word that, that gets us where our mind is around this idea of the kingdom, the dynasty, the reign of God. Now, from the time of David forward, the concept of the kingdom of, of, of Israel and the kingdom of God, they were inseparable because of this. The idea of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel were, were inseparable because of this. They all knew that God in the flesh, Messiah, who would have an everlasting kingdom, was coming through David's line. So the concept of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel in their minds, it was one reality. Now let me, let me illustrate that for you. Turn over to 2 Chronicles 28. And there's so many verses. This is well established through the Old Testament. But it's just stuff that we don't really pay attention to because in our Gentile mind, we sort of go, David's cool. I don't know. They call Jesus son of David for something. We got to get saved. I don't know. You know, we just kind of, you know, we kind of focus on it. We got to get saved. But you know what? When you got saved, you know what you were doing? You were transferring kingdoms. You were stepping out of the kingdom of darkness and stepping into the kingdom of God for real. It wasn't just, I got saved, you know, and and who knows if I'm really saved, and I'm kind of the same as I was. No, there was a transfer of kingdoms. There was a transfer of allegiance. There was a transfer of lordship in your life. It can't be that, you know, you say you're a Christian, but you don't have Jesus as your king. That's not possible. Because if you're in the kingdom of God, guess what? There's one king over the kingdom of God. Guess what his name is? Jesus. And if you're in the kingdom of God, guess who's got to be your king? Jesus. But you know what you can't be? Is, you know, sort of in the kingdom of darkness, sort of doing your own thing and slapping Jesus' name on top of it and imagining that you're in the kingdom of God. No, you've got to transition out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. 
That's what happens when you get saved. Somebody goes, well, how do I do that? You repent. You go, man, I've been serving myself. I've been serving my flesh. I've been serving sin. I've been serving the devil. I don't want any of those as my Lord. I want Jesus as Lord. And you trust him to forgive you, set you free from sin, and to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's it. You believe it, confess him as your Lord, and that's it. The transfer happens. It's crazy. And he's so merciful. He does things like sanctification and justification, cleanses you, proclaims you innocent, sets you free. (laughs) The package is awesome. The retirement package is far better. So, 1 Chronicles 28, look at David now. He's getting ready to pass the baton to Solomon. And he says something that is so bizarre uh, to the way we think, but it's not bizarre to the Jews. It was what they understood that Nathan was prophesying. And this is established through Isaiah and a couple different chapters. It's established in the Psalms and a couple different places that the kingdom of the Lord and the kingdom of Israel are together. Now watch this. Look at this. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 5. And of all my sons, this is David speaking, for the Lord has given me many sons. Of all my sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the, look at this phrase, throne of the kingdom of the, capital L-O-R-D, of the Lord. Over Israel. The capital L-O-R-D, that's, that's Yahweh. That's the throne of Yahweh over Israel. Isn't that amazing? He's chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of God over Israel. That's what that says. What? <laughs> Yeah, see, they didn't have this separation in mind that the kingdom of God was some ethereal spiritual thing out there somewhere that you couldn't put your finger on and that, you know, this earthly kingdom was just a natural thing and, and, you know, kingdom of God is out there somewhere and kingdom here is just, you know, normal. In their mind, it was all hand in glove. And they understood it to be this, that the throne of the kingdom of Israel was the throne of the Yahweh, of the Lord, of God. So that's why this this idea about Jesus being the son of David is so critical. Because the implications are enormous. Now let's just establish this idea a little further. Flip over one more. uh, 1 Chronicles 29. Verse 23. The writer of Chronicles giving us the the story. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. Is that weird? The throne of the Lord. The throne of the Lord as king instead of of David his father. And prospered and all Israel obeyed him. The throne of the Lord and the throne of the kingdom of Israel. one One and the same. While Israel, while, while uh, Judah was serving the Lord, it's the throne of the Lord. When they departed, God has to bring uh, judgment to them because they've departed from his ways. 
I'll throw this little story out there. You can just look at it later. I don't have the scriptures up for you, but it's in 2 Chronicles 13. It's an interesting story. I'll just make mention of it. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and, and he has an advisor that rebels. His name is Jeroboam. Jeroboam takes the 10 northern tribes and he sets them up as an anti-kingdom of, of, of Israel. And it, they call the northern 10 tribes Israel and they call the southern two tribes Judah. And what he does is he sets up false holidays, false gods, a false priesthood. He puts it out there and says, anybody that wants to be a priest in the northern kingdom, you can. It's not just for the Levites. We'll just do whatever we want. And he creates this entirely false um, uh, counterfeit kingdom in the north and 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 the reason why is uh solomon's son rehoboam he he just he really wasn't very smart He, he really wanted to to extract as much from the people and put them under you know tribute as much as he could and and the people didn't have it and so jeroboam said look if you want good life come with me in the north and he he ends up taking 10 of the tribes of israel with him so that's the state there. Well, here's what happens. Rehoboam's son is Abijah. Abijah's young. Jeroboam sees this as his opportunity. Jeroboam says, I'm going to take over the southern kingdom as well. And you can read the story in 2 Chronicles 13. It's tremendous. Abijah basically stands up and says to Jeroboam, you have no idea what you're doing here. This, the, the, uh, the kingdom of the Lord is in Jerusalem, and the throne of the Lord is in Jerusalem. And the Lord promised to David that this was where his kingdom would be centered, because you're not just fighting against us, you'll be fighting against the Lord. And the scripture tells us this, that 800,000 soldiers from the northern kingdom amassed against only 400,000 of the southern kingdom. And while Abijah is prophesying and telling Jeroboam, you've totally messed up, you have no idea, you're trying to stand against the Lord, what ends up happening is the northern kingdom goes ahead and flanks them, north and south, and they're, they're, they've got them ambushed. Well, what does Judah do? What does the southern kingdom do? They cry out in prayer, and this is what it says, and the Lord strikes Israel, strikes the northern kingdom, and 500,000 men fall. You don't play with the kingdom of God. He's, he's trying to, he's trying to uh, Jeroboam was trying to, to counterfeit it and trying to take it over. And Abijah, you know, now we're in you know, Solomon's uh, grandson. Even several generations later, he understands the throne of the kingdom of the Lord is in Jerusalem. You don't play, you don't come against us. We will take this thing over. God will fight for us. You can't, you can't take us out. We're serving the Lord. He says, we're keeping the Lord's statutes. We're doing what the Lord said. We've been obedient to the Lord and we can trust the Lord to move in power. And man, the Lord does. And there's a great slaughter in the north and 500,000 soldiers fall. My whole point of bringing that to your attention is this. In the Jewish mind, there never was a separation between the throne of the kingdom of God and the throne of Israel. It was always one and the same. As long as Israel was serving the Lord, they knew that they had the Lord's stamp. They had the Lord's authority. And that the Lord, they knew this point too, that the Lord would eventually set on the throne of Israel his own son. That Messiah was coming. Okay? 
And so this, when we get kingdom language, when we get kingdom language, that's where it comes from in the scripture. The idea is that there will be a unified reality between the throne of God and the throne of Israel, one reality, and God himself, Messiah, will sit on that throne and rule forever. He, Nathan prophesied, said it's an everlasting kingdom. Isaiah promised that it would be an everlasting kingdom and the child that would sit on it would be called Mighty God. <laughs> everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his reign and of his government, there'll be no end. These concepts of kingdom always had to do with this. A coming king who would be God in the flesh, who would sit on the throne of the nation of Israel and bring the powers of the kingdom of heaven and manifest them on the earth. Starting to get this, I think. So Jesus shows up. And that Matthew 4 verse, just bring that, put that back up on our screen. This is the expectation of Israel, that God in the flesh is coming. A king is coming who will be God in the flesh, and he will bring the power of the kingdom of God and manifest it on the earth and rule in Israel. This was the expectation. Jesus shows up and says, repent, because the kingdom is here. Beloved, (laughs) that is such a powerful statement. The kingdom is here. That line of kings, the succession that you've been waiting on, the promise that was given to David that from the seed of his own body, God would set someone on the throne forever that would be the king of God's kingdom. That kingdom is here now. kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel in one reality. Beloved, this is where it's going. When Jesus Christ returns, where is he going to reign from? Jerusalem, the throne of the kingdom of the Lord in Israel. It's always been the plan. Now you're going, now how does this relate to the simple gospel? (laughs) Here's the point. You got to get this idea in your mind. So that when you come preaching the gospel of the kingdom, you have something in your pocket that's more than just, I'm hoping I'm trying to get somebody saved like I'm scared to share the gospel with them. I mean, what are they going to think? They're going to think I'm weird. And you can have something a little bit more in your pocket than that. And what I want to show you is when you come with the gospel, ultimately what you're doing is you're inviting people to join the kingdom. You're inviting them to join the kingdom of God. And here's how it goes. There are many kingdoms in the world. We live in a kingdom. It's called the United States. And we would call it a democratic republic, but ultimately it's a kingdom. There are 200 plus nations and republics in the earth. Each of them are their own individual kingdom. And then there's a kingdom of this world. You have all these natural kingdoms and then you have the kingdom of this world and we know that the enemy is the, the, the ruler of the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of this age. But let me tell you something. Your citizenship is not of this world, just as Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, which is what he told us in John. He said, my kingdom is not of this place. If it were, all my disciples would fight and war against you, 
and, and deliver me. He goes, my kingdom is not of this world. He goes, if I wanted to, I could ask my father and instantly legions of angels would be fighting on my behalf. Because that's not how this comes. He goes, my kingdom is not of this world system. And so when Jesus shows up in Matthew 4 and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He goes, repent. You have to change your mind. You got to change the way you think this is going. Because the Jew primarily thought the kingdom was about the natural reign. There would be a ruler that would come and deliver them from oppression and they would have prosperity and everybody would be happy and, you know, it would be just good. And so when they're occupied by Rome, they're thinking, there's a whole group of what they called zealots. There was a political group who was thinking, we've got to get Rome kicked out of here. And and even Jesus, some of his own disciples were zealots. We're going to get Rome kicked out of here. And so Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom is at hand. They go, sweet, we're going to do a rebellion. And Jesus goes, that's not the way my kingdom goes. He goes, I'm going to overcome them by dying for them, not by slaughtering them. The inside, upside down kingdom, it's completely backwards. So Jesus says, repent. This kingdom is not the way you think it is. I am the king and I'm bringing the kingdom here right now. And then he does something amazing. Let's go back and look at it. Matthew 4, verse 23. Pull that one back up. The kingdom is here now. He teaches in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And now he's healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. Repent, because my kingdom isn't the way you thought it was. It's not merely a natural kingdom. It has supernatural power. He goes, I am a king. I'm bringing my kingdom here now. Believe the gospel. Believe that I'm the one that God has set in place to set on David's throne. But watch this. Here's the power of my kingdom. Remember Jesus throughout the book of John over and over and over. He says, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe me based on the works. Because the works testify of me. Here's the point. Here's the bigger point. The kingdom that Jesus brings, it has a natural, physical outworking and a spiritual power. Both and moving in sync together. And so when Jesus gives the declaration that he is God's chosen ruler, he He uh, affirms that declaration by bringing powers of his kingdom and manifesting them on the earth. And beloved, this is what happens when the power of the kingdom of God is in manifestation in the realm of the earth, in the realm of the kingdom of this world. The power of the kingdom of God overrides the natural powers of this age. The natural properties of this age. The bone is broken, Jesus actually says, no, I am from another place. My kingdom is not of this world. There's principles in operation. There's powers in operation that flow in my kingdom that override the fact that that bone is broken. Watch it be healed. There's powers in my kingdom that override even the authority of devils. (laughs) 
And he casts out all kinds of demons. They leave because the truly authorized one is there telling them where to go. Every rank and file of authority, it it has to move when a higher authority comes in place. And what Jesus demonstrates is this. Repent, my kingdom is here, and I am the king, and everything is subject to me. Beloved, this is a huge point. Because here's us. We're just little old prayer people trying to preach the gospel to somebody. And there's promises of power and stuff. And we feel the Lord. And we're trying to sort of get over our fear and get to the place of faith. And maybe we can get somebody healed. What Jesus set up is this. He dies. He's resurrected. And then he commissions all those who are subjects of his kingdom to operate in the same powers of his kingdom here on the earth. There is authorization from Jesus himself for us, his people who are in the kingdom, to manifest the powers of the kingdom of God on the earth now. Now, not wait till then, now. And what is that testifying of? Number one, it's testifying of the truth of Jesus' deity. Number two, it's testifying of that that kingdom that's come with power manifestation in part now is going to come in fullness and that king will reign on the earth. Listen, we don't have to get rid of one for the other. We don't just have to focus on power now and not believe in the future reign. And we don't just have to push it all off to the future reign and not manifest power now. We can actually have both and. I love how uh, this, this theologian named George Eldon Ladd put it. He said, the kingdom is already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. Now, here's what I want you to see. Let's now take a look at the familiar scriptures of uh, Jesus giving us the Great Commission. Turn over to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 and Mark 16 the two key passages that give us the Great Commission, what we see is the king commissioning his people to move in the powers of the kingdom. That's what we see. Matthew 28, look at verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, see this verse is so loaded, this phrase is so loaded. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ has all the authority in heaven and all the authority in earth. There isn't a greater authority than Jesus. And then he says this. Go, therefore. Therefore, why? What's the therefore for? Because he's saying, I am commissioning you. I am commissioning you, my people, to go in my authority. Come on, beloved. Go in my authority. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He goes, I am the one that's got authority in both realms. My kingdom is not of this world. All the principles and properties that govern this world bend to the authority of my kingdom. He goes, I can shift nations, sicknesses and diseases. I can shift demons. I can bend everything in this realm. You go now. You go and disciple all the nations in my name. I'm giving you my name. Now watch this. If if I worked for the president's office, and I, and I walked into the church and I said, in the name of the president of the United States, these things have to happen. These things are happening now. And I've got secret servicemen and military and all sorts of backup with it. We would be flowing and functioning by the authority of the president of the United States. We, we could, you know, change all sorts of things by the authority of that office. Beloved, we have the authority of a much greater office. We have, we have the authority of the king. The king. Jesus Christ. Oh, see, your job, I understand there's a boss there and managers, and other workers. But you're operating in the authority of the king. You have, you have the name of the king. You have the authorization of heaven. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, and he wants you to bring his kingdom wherever you go. Beloved, we can bend the properties of this realm. If there's a sickness, that sickness is subject to the name of Jesus. If there is a, a sin issue, a poverty issue, a demonic issue, I don't care what the issue is, it is subject to the name of Jesus. What we have got to begin to believe is that we are a part of his kingdom and the king has given us his name and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We have authority in his name. How in the world could a regular human touch another regular human and that person get healed. How? Because the king has authorized them to use his name and in his name, the properties of this realm bend and bow to the properties of the kingdom of heaven. This is who we are. This is who we are, beloved. We're not still in the kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of God. We know who our king is, and our king has authorized us to use his name. Man, I want to have some fun. (laughs) Man, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
This sounds like the best game of Simon Says that anybody has ever invited me to play. So you're telling me, Jesus, because I'm in the kingdom, I can use your name and sickness has to bow. He goes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, so you're saying I can use your name and demons have to obey. He goes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And then the disciples, he sends them out and they come back and they're going, Lord, this stuff works. He goes, I knew it would. They go, no. Even demons, they follow what we say. It's the coolest game of Simon says ever. And what does Jesus say? He goes, that's good, but rejoice in this, that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He goes, it's far better to rejoice that you're in the kingdom. You're in the kingdom, beloved. You're in the kingdom. When you come and you bring the gospel to somebody, you are bringing them the gospel of the kingdom. Let me tell you something. Our king is coming. Our king is returning. His kingdom didn't come the way they thought it was going to come. They thought it was going to come with a revolution. Instead, it comes with a completely different kind of revolution. He has a revolution against pride and arrogance and all the, the foundational elements of the kingdom of this world. He gives his life for all of his subjects. What king? What king is the martyr? What priest is the offering? Ours alone. And it's through his death, through his resurrection, he's exalted to the highest place, given the name above every name. And beloved, we have been authorized to use the name. Authorized as citizens of the kingdom to flow in the power of the kingdom. And this is a real kingdom. The reason why I give you the background, the second Samuel, the reason why I take you through that is so that you can see that the powers of the kingdom are real powers. That Jesus Christ isn't just sort of some, you know, appointee. No, he's actually the one that came through the line of David. He's the one that was prophesied. He's the one that was attested to by signs and wonders. And when he came and said, my kingdom is here, he proved it by manifesting the powers of the kingdom of God. And furthermore, God proved it by raising him from the dead. This is the king. And we're in his kingdom. And so now, when we signed up for, for the kingdom, you know, I signed up to get out of hell. I don't know what you signed up for. I didn't want to go to hell. When the guy asked me, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? I, I didn't even blink. I was like, I would go to hell. I am bad. I knew it. And so I, I said, how do I get out of that? He goes, you got to get saved. I go, I'm in. I didn't know kingdom. I didn't know none of this. I didn't know anything. I just knew I want to get out of hell free card. You got one of those? Because I want it. How do I not go to hell? And I said, I don't, I, I, fine. If, G, if Jesus is the way to, go to not go to hell, I'm in. And as I get in, I realize, well, I didn't just join a, a forgiveness group. I joined a global dynasty. The global dynasty of God. And the impending reign of this God. I joined the global reign of the king. And I'm a citizen in his kingdom. And now 
since I signed up for that kingdom, unbeknownst to me, I signed up for the mission of the kingdom. You know what the mission of the kingdom is? Invite everybody into the kingdom. (laughs) That's the mission of the kingdom right now. Invite them all into the kingdom because that king is coming and he is going to reign and he wants everybody in on his reign. He wants everybody in on that. And so he's given us equipment to manifest these things. You know where a lot of this lies? Do we believe? And I'm not going to sit up here and beat us over the head with, oh, you're unbelieving. But you know what? There's a little bit of that there that's really true. <laughs> I know for me, I mean, you see the guy with the broken leg and you're like, I'm just going to praise God. I'm just going to pray for him right over here. <laughs> Ask the Lord to touch him. You know, there's a, a place that you get over to where you start really believing. I'm in the kingdom. I have the name of the king and sickness and disease has to bow. Demons have to flee. The powers of this world have to bend and collapse under the authority and the powers of the kingdom of God. This is our authorization in Christ. Let's look at this other familiar scripture now. Let's just look at it again in light of the idea of our king and the kingdom. Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world, And preach the gospel, the gospel of what? The gospel of the kingdom to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In the name of the king. In the name of the king. The properties of this world must bend. They must bow. That's how we manifest the the powers of the kingdom now. by, By bending the properties of this age to prove the the truth of Jesus' deity. And look, this isn't something we muster up. This is something he promised. This isn't something I, I gotta believe it. I'm gonna gonna get get the the name of Jesus. I'm gonna really do this. No, look, he said it. He's the king. Let's just get ourselves in the way of it. Let's just get ourselves in the way. You know, you you see somebody and you wanna talk to him about Jesus and you share the gospel with him and and you say, so is there anything I can pray for you about? You got a sickness or... You know, anything I can pray for you about. And they go, well, yeah, actually, I actually got this little problem on my shoulder. Take your hand out of your pocket. <laughs> Put it on them. In the name of Jesus Christ, the King, I command this shoulder to be healed. And go, try it out. You know what? It might take a minute to get you used to working out that muscle, that faith muscle, the laying hands on the sick muscle and putting yourself out there muscle. I love John Wimber's testimony. How many have ever heard of John Wimber? One of the, one of the great healing ministries are, really we've ever seen in our nation. His main thing was to train everybody to do it, to get everybody doing the stuff. Well, John Wimber for a year prayed for the sick after every church service for a year, preached on healing for a year and prayed for the sick every week for a year without one healing. 
You know what he had to do? He had to get, get the kinks out of his muscles. You know, he had to get, get the kinks out of his faith. And then all of a sudden, pow, the thing starts popping. And it ends up with one of the biggest healing ministries we've ever seen in our nation. With many, many, many people flowing in the power of the kingdom. You know what the thing about faith is? It's so challenging. You've got to believe it before you see it. And I tell you what, the more I believe in what I can't see, the more I'm flowing in the power of the kingdom. We believe in what we can't see. That's the crux of our faith. We believe in the power of the kingdom. That is, it's here in the, in, by the Holy Spirit now, but it's coming in fullness with the reign of our king. This is who you are. And I tell you, in the next age, we are going to rule and reign with him on the earth. The meek of the earth are his leadership team in the next age. Like all the details about the next age are still in place. But I love what Hebrews 6 verse 5 says. When we manifest power now, signs, wonders, healings, miracles, deliverances, when that stuff is being manifest now, you know what we're manifesting? The powers of the age to come. The powers of the next age. Isaiah 35 says that when Jesus comes... Glory is going to hit deserts and water courses are going to spring up and and, and streams and rivers will spring up in the deserts. A couple times the scripture says it, Habakkuk says it, Habakkuk 2.14. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. Listen, when our king comes and brings his kingdom in fullness, the whole globe will be wrapped in a glory cloud. Oh, come on now, man. That is awesome, cool. Like, come on. You know, you'll be like breathing glory. (laughs) This is awesome. I mean, can you, you know, the cloud is all over your house. You're like, this is just stinking awesome. Sin will be in check. Sickness. Totally eradicated. Why? Because when our king comes, he brings his kingdom and glory envelops the globe. You have the authorization of our king now to manifest what? The powers of that age when? Now. This thing is going to get so good. And it's fun. We get to do this stuff now. We get to try it. You, you have no idea. This thing is loaded telling you, you got, you're loaded. Try it out. Use it. See what happens. The Holy Spirit is jealous to glorify Jesus. Jesus has already authorized us. The power of his kingdom is legit and real. And sickness has to bow. Disease has to flee. Demons have to run. In the name of The king. Beloved, believe it. Believe your citizenship. And so when we're bringing the gospel, this is critical, when we're bringing the gospel, we're not just, you know, I'm just sort of trying to tell somebody and hopefully they'll just believe. No, you're coming in the name of the king as an ambassador, inviting every person to join his kingdom. Oh, amen. Amen. I want to do this thing, man. I want to do this thing. I want the kingdom to come. How much sickness is there in heaven? How many demons are there in heaven? Isn't it amazing Jesus taught us to to pray? Pray, 
Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can manifest that thing now. Just lock in and just believe and manifest it as one that's been authorized by Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand. I love meditating on this. I love focusing on this. My citizenship is in heaven. So Paul said, your citizenship is in heaven. Man, we, we tap into this, and all of a sudden, I tell you, we're going to see such incredible results. It's there for our, our taking. It's there for the manifestation of it. All, see, that puts so many, such a different light on so many other scriptures. All things are possible to them that believe. Why? Because the, the, the kingdom of heaven bends the natural realm. All things are possible. All things are possible. Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. You are the king, Jesus. You are the king. Lord, I pray that the revelation of the kingdom of God would reside so brightly in our heart we would see that you, Jesus, you're the one that Nathan prophesied about. You're the one that David believed in. You're the one that's going to sit on the throne of the Lord in Jerusalem. You're the one called Mighty God. You're the one, Jesus. And when you came and you said, repent, for the kingdom is at hand, you were speaking of the power of the kingdom of heaven manifest and resident in the earthly realm. And Lord, you've saved us. And you've called us and transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And you've authorized us. You've authorized us to go in the name of Jesus, in the name of the King, to preach the gospel and to see signs and wonders manifest. So God, I'm asking right now, break the barriers off our minds. Break them off our minds. We want to step into that place of faith. We want to step into that faith of believing, uh, that place of believing all things are possible in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is deliverance in the name of our King. There is, there is life in the name of Jesus. There is light in the name of Jesus. We want to step into these things. You said, God, in your name, they that believe will cast out demons. We want to do that. They would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. We want to do that. That sounds awesome. You said, God, even the, the, we would trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy. In Luke 10, you gave us authority. So here we are. You said that we would be endued with power by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of the kingdom. Jesus, you are the king. You are the king. You are the king. I pray, let us step into the confidence the confidence of the truth of who you are as the king. 
We want to manifest the powers of that kingdom. We want to operate in the culture of the kingdom and manifest the powers of the kingdom. 